Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat. I am your host, Josh McCarty. With me tonight, as always, although if you're watching on YouTube, on location, is Luca. Luca, how's it going tonight? Yeah, not my normal setup here tonight. Uh, I am in the middle of Columbus, Ohio. I'm out here for work and stuff like that. Didn't want to give a location, but I did anyways. Um, but yeah, in a hotel, hopefully no banging at the door or any craziness happens in the hallway here. But uh, committed to the game here, committed to the show, committed to everything like that. And I'm ready to record a, yet another episode as if I was sitting in my home office. Any truth to the rumor that one of the reasons you went to Ohio this weekend was to catch the Hall of Fame game? Absolutely no truth. <laughs> God, no. <laughs> well, the Hall of Fame game is in the books. I think the Browns won. I uh, Yeah, they did. I, I'm pretty confident they did because I know we have a mutual Jets fan who said that the winner of the Hall of Fame game has never won the Super Bowl, so he was actually happy that the Jets lost. That's about all I saw from that game, quite honestly. <laughs> but there are some more important preseason games coming up, including our Buffalo Bills. They take the field next Saturday against the Indianapolis Colts at Highmark Stadium. It's a 1 p.m. kickoff. Luca has told me that it is kids' day because it's the only home preseason game. And we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight, what our expectations are for that game as far as like who we think the Bills will play in that game. We also have to continue our Rivals Watch series as tonight Luca and I are going to be breaking down the NFC East. And I got to tell you, Luca, when we get to this, that is a tough division. <laughs> if if you have questions about your O-line, playing against the NFC East might be the worst division to be going against. I feel like the NFC East is always a division year in, year out, where the trenches are kind of where they excel, both defensively and offensively. So, yeah, it, it to me, it's it's funny. We, we went through the whole exercise like we always do, and you break down these divisions, and it's like even with the commanders, it's like, no, they're still very good up front in the trenches themselves, both offensively, well, more defensively for them, but still it's fascinating. Then you get, of course, to the top of the top when it comes to the Eagles, and it's like, good luck. You know, they even got better somehow. We'll get into it more. But yeah, this is a very tough division. Um, potentially the best division in the NFL. Obviously, that's a little bit objective and it depends on where you sit on who's the best. But it's going to be a fun episode for sure when we break down each team individually and see where they are at. Yeah, I'm excited about that. We'll be getting to that a little bit later on. But before we get there, Luke and I obviously want to talk about our Buffalo Bills and what's been going on with our team at training camp. And this is, I'm going to quickly just plug some content we already have out there. If you're just looking for more training camp fix on our new YouTube channel, Bill's chat, we would love it. If you head over there and take a couple seconds to subscribe, we'd be forever grateful to that. I've been putting out daily training camp recap videos, five to 10 minutes, just recapping every practice. And then on Friday, Luca and I went live about 30 minutes after the return of the blue and red scrimmage practice and broke it all down for about an hour and a half. It was a really fun show. And uh, so there's a lot of training camp information that we already have in the vault. So I think, and I also, including today, oh, today we're recording on Sunday, but you're hearing this on Monday. I did put out a recap from Sunday's practice. We'll get into some of that here, but I think what we're going to focus on tonight is more larger topics of training camp, maybe not specific to Sunday's uh, practice, but more so, What's been going on as a whole? And the first thing I want to talk about, Luca, is the theme of the offseason ever since the Bengals game really was, can we weaponize Josh Allen? Can we get enough weapons around Josh Allen? And so far, it's it's training camp. Pads have been on somewhat. There's not even a preseason game yet. Let's keep that all in mind. 
but two of the absolute standouts that have been consistently making plays every single day with almost no arrow down have been Gabe Davis and Dalton Kincaid. Now, Gabe Davis is probably a larger conversation about what do you want to believe? What, what, what do you think is real? What's not? But man, if, if the Dalton Kincaid hype is even 80% real, and if we can just get a little bit better version of Gabe Davis, who even in what was considered a down year was still statistically speaking a higher end wide receiver too, I think the Bills are probably in good shape weapon-wise. Yeah, it's a great way to put it. I mean, you need Gabe Davis not to be a budding superstar, but you need him to be more dependable and more reliable week in, week out. And then if Kincaid can come in and be kind of the underneath dependable hand, whether it's out wide, lined up at more of a traditional tight ends position, and then you get your knocks splash plays on top of it as well. Yeah, it, it feels like we're in a situation here where if those things line up as they are, you're five times better than what it seemed like uh, you were at at this point last season, right? It's it's kind of a, when we were here last season, we were just still projecting and hoping and, and you wanted to believe that something would happen when it comes to Gabe Davis and Knox takes another step after a contract extension and so on and so forth. Now it seems like things are coming out where it might be a reality more so than we think and things could happen in a very positive direction, more specifically with Davis and Kincaid. And if you can get those two things with already what's going on with Diggs and Allen naturally that they've had the past few seasons, watch out. This, this passing game could be far better than anything we've experienced in the past few seasons. The reports out of training camp is Gabe Davis has been very focused on becoming a more well-rounded wide receiver. We all know he can get deep. We all know he's one of the highest A dot average or what is it average depth of target which is what a dot stands for a dot receivers in the league but he and ken dorsey said they both believe there's more meat on the bone for him to work those underneath routes and we don't need him to be julian edelman we don't need him to be cooper cup we just need him to be serviceable in those areas make defenses respect it and that can open up a world of potential for a guy that already is one of the better downfield threats in the sport and the, he's already shown some rapport with Josh Allen in training camp. The people on site have been saying that he's one of the most consistent targets, if not the most consistent target, right up there with Stefan Diggs, dominating one-on-ones, dominating team periods. And that's just fantastic to see for a guy going into a contract year. But then on the other side, Luca, Dalton Kincaid, when he was picked, the conversation was, okay, well, he's going to play slot receiver, but also you don't see tight ends come into the league and dominate right off the bat. But what we've seen out of the Bills in training camp is a heavy emphasis on 12 personnel. And even at the blue and red scrimmage the other night, you saw some 13 personnel with Reggie Gilliam on the field, too, with Knox and Kincaid. I think what the Bills are showing us is, one, they're going to put defenses in a bind trying to figure out how to match up to a two-tight end offense. Two, this isn't going to be a part-time part of their offense. This could be the actual focal point of their offense, this 12 personnel. And three... They expect Dalton Kincaid to matter and matter early. There could be an entire philosophical change. I, I think that's kind of the early message I'm getting with this offense. The 13 personnel thing is fascinating to me. Like, okay, we've been hearing a lot about personnel. They want the offense with both Knox and Kincaid on the field. And all of a sudden, early on in the red and blue scrimmage, they come out in 13 personnel. You're adding Gilliam to the mix. It's like, whoa. To me, that's kind of a over-the-top situation where it's like there clearly seems to be something going on 
where they really want to change everything they have thought about this offense and what it can do and how it can operate through 17. That is Josh Allen. So it's like, maybe there's different looks and different things we can come out as kind of a package set or just our base when it comes to our offense, isn't necessarily three wide anymore. And we can come out in games more tight to the actual center tight to the ball itself, and then just create space out in the perimeter through different avenues now. And it's, it's a fascinating thing to me. That's a drastic change. You're, you're no, you're not going from kind of, you went too wide and just more traditional dotting the eye and maybe even had a fullback or something like that. And then just one in each side and then bringing it in tighter. You went three wide. We were the most kind of empty sets in the NFL. We were kind of spreading out as much as possible. And it seems like in one off season, they've brought it in drastically and they want to bring it tight to the actual line of scrimmage and tight to the actual center. And now it, it kind of is a situation where when you then need to go back to three wide or something like that, it kind of almost becomes a change of look yet. They're already very comfortable with it. So it, you're kind of just adding more to the toolbox and adding more to the skill set of all offensive personnel so that you can do a lot of different things moving forward. And the prospect of that is just absolutely fascinating and honestly mouthwatering in a little bit of a way, because what, what more could you ask for than just have Josh Allen run more things at a high level? It's, it's a fascinating time right now when it comes to this offense and what they could be doing philosophical wise. I can't wait to see how they deploy all these weapons who are going to make them so much more multiple on offense. And I still do believe that they have upgraded the bottom half of their wide receiver depth chart with guys like um, Khalil Shakir going into his second year. You would think he'd be better than himself the year before. Deontay Hardy should be, if he's healthy, a better version of Isaiah McKenzie. Maybe only slightly better, but I do think he's much, I do think he's a better player. And the big one for me and you, we've been talking about him a lot, is Trent Sherfield. I think this is a guy... That is just perfect for what the Bills need out of their wide receiver three, which is, hey, you're in an offense with Stephon Diggs and Dawson Knox and Dalton Kincaid and Josh freaking Allen. I don't need my wide receiver three to be the reason why I win. But when I throw you the ball, I need you to catch it. And I need you, hey, if you have some run after the catch ability, that's a bonus. And Trent Sherfield is certainly that guy. Yeah, it, we we talked about it on our live show this past Friday, and I even mentioned it a lot more uh, as well on a cover one show I was on this past weekend uh, with Joe DeRosa. It, it's positionless. They they want more and more things and more weapons in there that can do a lot of different things and become more versatile and just positionless within this offense. So then a guy like Trent Sherfield, who has already kind of got a proven track record of being able to play the outside inside slot, do everything you need him to be able to do, whether it's block or get downfield and get down in a hurry. It's he can do a lot of different things. So you're just adding that in your depth on top of already having the high end that should be able to provide more of a positionless game for you as well. So the the options and the abilities of all of your different pieces are effectively limitless within the game of football itself in this offense, Cir just completely circled around 17 himself, who is kind of a if if there is such a thing of a positionless kind of quarterback, he is that guy. He can do it all for you if you really want to. You just don't want to need him to do it week in, week out. So that's why you want to kind of get all these different weapons around him and use them in all sorts of creative ways. One thing I want to do tonight, Luca, is I want to review the 2023 draft class because our first episode on the air after the draft, we went through and talked about expectations for these guys. But now we have almost two weeks worth of training camp information to understand what their roles could potentially be or what they could potentially not be. 
And I want to I want to talk about that and maybe make this a weekly segment until we get to the regular season. But before we do that, I want to update what's going on with a couple key position battles. Just quickly touch on where they stand, what we what we know them to be right now. We'll start with the middle linebacker situation. Right now, it's down to two players, Tyrell Dodson and Terrell Bernard. At one point in time, Balen Spector was getting first team reps, but that was very short lived. At this point, Luca, I think you and I both agree that it seems like it's Tyrell Dodson's job to lose, but there are three preseason games to play, and I do think that Terrell Bernard is still alive in this competition if he has a strong August showing. Bernard's definitely still alive. I think the competition is still a thing. I just think it's Dodson's to lose at this point. I mean, barring anything crazy happening in these three preseason games, it's just going to be Dodson coming out on top, I would imagine. It would, I'd find it crazy that if they get through these three games, all of a sudden Bernard wins it from there, unless Dodson just showed that he was just completely incapable of running the defense, which we've already seen on tape in actual meaningful games, that that's not necessarily the case. And then Bernard kind of blows them away, which also we've, you know, we haven't seen a whole heck of a lot, but I had, he hasn't shown me anything that tells me he's going to be able to blow us away with any kind of skill or abilities in running this defense. So overall, I just look at it as it's Dodson's to lose, but it's definitely still a race and we got to get through these preseason games before you get to the end of it. It would be an exciting development if Terrell Bernard came out and won this job and gave everybody a reason to feel good about that, because that's a third round pick that for the better part of a year looked horrendous. A guy that was unable to even get a jersey on game day in the playoff loss to the Bengals when the Bills were down, what, three starters and they were just running out of bodies on the defensive side of the ball. Jordan Phillips was playing with one arm, essentially, and he couldn't even get a jersey to help the guys out. So. You know, there's there's growth there. It's human beings. There's development involved here. He certainly has the athletic profile to get it done, uh, but we'll see what happens. There there were some issues with him seeing the game a little too fast last year, and it, it just slowed him down. And I, I'm really he's one of the guys, Luca, that when these preseason games start, I'm just really excited to see his read and reaction skills as the mic. How does it look? And um, and we're going to talk more about him and other guys that could be in the preseason game. But let's update now the cornerback battle. Because coming into training camp, it seemed like it was between three guys. This is the spot opposite Tredavious White, obviously. Uh, Dane Jackson, Kyrie Elam, and Christian Benford. And well, for the better part of the last week, it really seemed like that it was becoming a two-horse race between Dane Jackson and Kyrie Elam. Well, Sunday, things changed as Christian Benford had by far the most number one team snaps he's had all of training camp. And unanimously, every reporter on site that was reporting on this said that Christian Benford was essentially the star of practice with two interceptions on the day, one off of Josh Allen and Luca. I don't need to be the one that leads you into a compliment uh, Christian Benford conversation because that has been your MO since you saw this guy take the field. Ironically enough last year in preseason game number one against the Colts, but I understand Dane Jackson is the incumbent starter. I understand Kyrie Elam is the first round pick. I understand that these guys have things on their resume that make them the more likely person to get that job. But at some point in time, when a player is there and all they do is produce, when you give them an opportunity, you have to continue to give them opportunities. And that's what we have in Christian Benford. If this guy keeps stepping up and absolutely excelling 
in these opportunities that he keeps being presented in competitions, in game time play, in snaps, whatever it might be. And he plays at a very, very, very good level. I'm not going to say great level because he had his you know mistakes last season once in a blue moon. But it's like he steps up to the plate and he gets the job done at a very well rate. It's like at some point you need to admit that this guy just needs to be on the field more. He needs to be more involved. He clearly has something that you need to have out there and just see what you have in it. And it's, I I can't pump his tires enough. I can't, I can't get more excited than I already am for Christian Benford. I understand, excuse me. I understand what you have in Elam and Jackson, but it's like at the end of the day, if Benford is stepping up with whatever opportunity it is, at some point you have to tip your cap to him and just give him the nod, give him the okay. If he then goes into a game and outperforms Elam and Jackson, one, you shouldn't be surprised. And two, you should probably be okay with then going with him moving forward. And the reality of the Bills situation is Tredavious White is going to be 29 years old by the time the season ends. Dane Jackson has one year left on his deal. So it is a good thing if, Christian Benford and Kyrie Elam prove that they can play in this league because there is a very realistic scenario that sooner rather than later, that could be your cornerback tandem on defense. So I think this is something certainly worth monitoring. This is a guy that you have been high on since the jump. And I'm certainly excited to see if he gets extended run in the preseason, what he can do with it because he's just been super reliable. He has a really great feel for this zone defense dating back to his time at Villanova. That is the knock on Kyrie Elam, a lot more man that they played in Florida, some frustration from the fan base aimed toward Brandon Bean's been popping up of if you were concerned about the scheme they played at Florida, why did you draft him in the first round? But I think this is a great problem to have. The Bills seem very deep at cornerback. It doesn't seem like there's any wrong answer here, but I think you and I are both, we've talked about this enough. I know, I know you agree with this. We're both on the same page where if Dane Jackson gets the nod, we'll understand it but we'll be disappointed because it sure seems like door number one of Elam and door number two of Benford are at least appealing enough to open them. Yeah. Just go with the higher end possibility of one of those two guys. Dane Jackson's an understandable disappointment. Dane Jackson's just like the ultimate safe play just because you know exactly what he is as a player and you know what you're going to get because you have just numerous games of tape just understanding exactly what the defense looks like with Dane Jackson on that other side. The thing is, we want to see better. You want to see what else you have, especially when in splash plays and splash opportunities, both Elam and Benford had show they can play at a very high level at times. And it's like, hey, can we get that more consistently? Can we get that more in a regular occurrence just by having them on the field more? So let's do that, please, to see if we can actually make that a reality. The last position I want to talk about, Luca, is offensive guard, right guard to be specific. And that seems to be a two-horse race between second-round pick Osiris Torrance and returning starter Ryan Bates. They have been basically splitting snaps, dead even, maybe a slight lean towards Torrance. But I think your confidence level that you expressed on Friday of why you think Torrance is going to get the starting job, is that just as simple as if they wanted Bates to get the job, they would have started reducing Torrance's reps by now? Yes, I I think at this point in time, 
if Torrance was still someone they liked, but then viewed the starting job for being Bates, offensive line is one of those ones you want to never really take away too many opportunities and snaps so that they can get build that chemistry. And it, it, I understand that Bates has been in the offensive line before, but you need to rekindle that chemistry. They've been off for a long period of time now, and you need to build things back. It's like if if they're not trying to make it Bates's job once again, and it really is an open competition. And now all of a sudden you're seeing Torrance take more and more of the snaps to me, that just indicates that Torrance seems to be the more likable guy in that position. And the one that they probably are looking at potentially to be that right guard. And by the way, I have no problems with that. He's a high end talent to be having there. And to be all honest, like, I want to see Torrance win this position because Torrance just opens up a lot of great doors and a lot of opportunities for others as well. And then also, you know, you got a young guy sitting there at right guard for the foreseeable future. And that's a beautiful place to be. So whether it's Osiris Torrance, Kyer Elam, Christian Benford are going back to linebacker Terrell Bernard. You have a player that was drafted in one of the last two drafts. My hope for the Bills that if any one of the four players earn a starting job, the Bills empower them to actually play the job and to live through mistakes. I don't need any of those guys, if they earn the job, to be looking over their shoulder constantly, even if that's Terrell Bernard, who you and I are down on. If he's your starter, just because he misses a tackle or makes a bad read, you don't yank him for Tyrell Dotson. You can absolutely kill his confidence. Let him play through mistakes. Tremaine Edmonds made mistakes. Tredavious White made mistakes there. I mean, everybody wants to talk about how great he was a rookie year game winning touchdown pass to AJ green against the, against the Cincinnati Bengals. And he was in tears in the locker room. He was so upset and he's been pretty fine since then. I, I think it's okay. Do I need to remind everybody of some of the mistakes Josh Allen made his rookie year? Like I, I understand <laughs> quarterbacks, different conversation, but there were some passes in that green Bay game in Lambeau where you're just like, mm. it looked like somebody picking up Madden for the first time and not knowing what the passing buttons were. Speaking of Madden, Luca, oh, you geez. and I have four copies of Madden 24 to give away. We are super excited about this. Madden's right around the corner. It's coming out in just over a week and a half. And uh, we have some fun things on the horizon regarding Madden, but nothing quite as fun as just giving away free copies of Madden. Follow us on Twitter, Bill's Chat Pod. There is a tweet pinned, and I know it's X now, but we're going to just call it Twitter, and you know what we're talking about. Pinned to the top of our account. It tells you the very simple things you have to do to enter your name into this contest. And there are bonus entries available to you by doing other very simple things. Madden 24 on the horizon. Get your hands on it. Thanks to your friends at Bill's Chat. Make sure you go in there and enter today. One last competition, Luca. And I don't think either one of us really thought this was going to be a competition coming into training camp, but sitting here tonight, I think it is backup quarterback, Kyle Allen and Matt Barkley. Now this, uh, neither one of these guys to me are bringing back memories of Frank Reich. Like I, I don't think that the bills are going to be in a situation where they have a, a top line backup quarterback, but I feel like we all just have this muscle memory with quarterback where it's like, okay, Matt Barkley is going to be the three and the veteran they bring in is going to be the two. That's how it was last year with case Keenum. But Kyle Allen and Case Keenum are not the same. And all you have to do is look at their contracts. Case Keenum's contract was significantly higher than Barkley's last year. Kyle Allen and Matt Barkley have virtually the same exact deal, both less than $2 million cap hit, both actually less than 1.1 million cap hit. And all the reports out of camp so far, 
unanimously, I can't find one person to say otherwise, is Kyle Allen has not just been bad, he's been horrendous. And it's been consistently bad, as if there's not even like a good day to give you hope. So my question now, Luca, I guess I'm going to make it a two-part question. This wasn't even in our notes. I know you're ready for stuff like this, though my mind tends to race. One, is it a competition in your mind? And two, given everything at stake with this team, should the Bills be looking outside their building at this point in time? Maybe a name like Teddy Bridgewater or something like that. What do you think about what's going on at QB2? So one, yes, it's absolutely a competition, 100%. If all indications are the guy that they probably and understandably expected to be the backup as Kyle Allen has been horrendous, they might have just paid for Josh Allen's buddy to have a nice summer job and he could be finding himself on the street. I think, though, to just assume that Mark Matt Barkley would become the backup is a little silly. So to lead into that second question of yours, yeah, I, I bet you their eye is open to a lot of kind of they're going to be watching probably a lot of quarterbacks in the preseason and seeing what happens with those situations. And then on top of it, just keeping up with anyone that they have their eyes on that are, is a current free agent. I will say this. I have zero interest in Teddy Bridgewater. He looked like he had no ability to run an offense whatsoever in his limited time with Miami before then getting hurt himself. Um, people just indicate that he couldn't stay healthy. It's like, look, when he was healthy and out there, it was not anything of noteworthiness whatsoever. It was pretty horrendous. So I don't think you're getting any improvement from that compared to Kyle Allen and or Matt Barkley. But overall, yes, I think there's probably going to be a lot more kind of pro scouting work when it comes to the other 31 teams and their quarterback situations, as well as just keeping up with those that are on the market currently at this point in time. Because if Kyle Allen continues to trend downwards, I could see a world where Matt Barkley's still kind of that practice squad in-house QB three, and then they just explore another option for that backup quarterback position somewhere else. Maybe they've had discussions with someone else in the past and they ended up signing Kyle Allen because Josh Allen kind of was like, Hey, can you please sign my buddy? All of a sudden it's like, they need to probably sit down Josh Allen and be like, Hey man, no offense, your buddy sucks and we got to go a different direction. So it'll be intriguing to watch that one through the preseason. That's for sure. Hey, if we cut him, he still can play golf with you on the weekends, Josh. It's fine. He'll be out there, but he just, we don't trust him with our season in his hands. Um, I'm looking at spot track right now, a list of available quarterbacks. And, you know, some of these you have to take with a grain of salt, but here's some of the names that are at the top. Carson Wentz. No. Matt Ryan. No, he seems he's already got a job, right? He's CBS. Yeah, he's I working think, for Fox. I think it's okay. Fox. I think he'll be good there. <laughs> Guy named Tom Brady's listed. I don't think I, I don't think that's going to happen, guys. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, Joe Flacco, hard pass. Uh, anytime he's had to step in for the teams in recent years, it's it's been bad. Uh, Nick Foles, yeah. Uh, Chase Daniel, but I I don't think Chase Daniel is actively seeking NFL employment, or else he would be employed. I think he's uh, in retirement. Just maybe hasn't turned in his papers yet. After that, it's like Bryce Perkins, EJ Perry. Tim DeMora. You're right, Luca. This could absolutely be a situation where they're scouring the waiver wires after the 53 down man cut down. And, you know, maybe it's a situation where they look at the giants and, and they see someone like Tommy DeVito, whoever that is. And <laughs> he looks good in preseason, but since they already have Tyrod Taylor, the giants cut him, and they're like, Hey, you know what? You've been schooled up by Brian Dayball for the last month. You, you already have a head start on our system. Get in here. I, I doubt it though. I, I think it'll either be Barkley or Allen. And I think right now, if I had to predict, I would not be surprised at all if it was Matt Barkley. All right, Luca, let's play a little game called Draft Pick Stockwatch. 
We're going to do this every week. It's going to be quick hitters. And I just want to go through the Bills rookie class from 2023 and just say what we're thinking, what kind of role they can have in 2023, or maybe as we get later in the class, chances of making the roster. Just a quick little one or two sentence outlook on these guys from both of us. And I'll start first. Dalton Kincaid, tight end they took in the first round. I think he's going to matter a lot. Certainly going to make the roster. He's going to be a starter. He's going to be more than 50% of the snaps by end of the year. I think it'll be in the 60 to 70 range. And I think there's a realistic path that he is the third most targeted player on offense and maybe even potentially second, although that feels a little rich. Uh, it seems like that's that's a guy that's going to matter a lot. Yeah, I would say seconds of, of definitely rich for my blood. I, I wouldn't necessarily go that far. It'd be incredible. I will, as some, I will say as someone that just put a futures ticket as I was passing through the great state of PA on offensive rookie of the year for Dalton Kincaid at plus 4,500 or whatever it was. I think I sprinkled a little action on that. I was like, uh, I would love to see him targeted over a hundred times. That'd be really, really nice. But um, overall, I do think he will be a big part of the offense. I think there's a, it's a general known at this point. Like it's no, it's no mystery to the national media. It's definitely no mystery to the local media and ourselves here as fans. Um, he, there is a reason they picked him when they did. There's a reason they even moved up a couple spots to get him when they did. And they, there is a clear and concise plan with what they want to do with him in the offense. Don't be surprised if you see kind of higher than usual production out of a rookie tight end when it comes to Dalton Kincaid in this offense, especially with 17 and the ability of what he has, you know, in his toolbox and with his arm. So it's exciting for Kincaid and seeing what he can do in this offense right out the gate. Second round pick offensive guard Osiris Torrance out of Florida. Uh, my opinion, he absolutely has a path to starting. If he doesn't start right off the bat, I think he will play at some point this year, whether it's because of injury concerns or because of maybe concerns with what's going on in the offensive line. Um, this is a guy that I expect to get some pretty significant snaps his rookie year, if not all of them. I'm expecting Osiris Torrance day one. I am fully in the Torrance would or could and should be starting week one. I, I think enough. I've seen enough. I've read enough. Everything kind of indicates that the high end abilities of Torrance seem to be there in front of us early on. And if that is the case, just let him hit the ground running. I, the worst case to me is that he still sees an easy path to the field, whether it's even through injury or just rotation for whatever reason. Um, it's Torrance has a high end skill set to him. He brings something I think that other guards haven't been able to bring to this offense for a few years now. And it's like, look, if you have something like that, that's really working out as early as it is now, and it will progress over time, just let it go. You need offensive line to work together. You need it to work. And I am fully in the Torrance bandwagon right now. I want to see it day one and I expect it. Third round pick Dorian Williams linebacker, not in the middle linebacker competition, currently backing up Matt Milano. I'm not even sure he will be Matt Milano's direct backup as I do think that whoever loses out between Terrell Bernard and Tyrell Dodson could end up just being like that third linebacker off the bench, regardless of who gets hurt. Um, so I don't think Dorian Williams is going to matter a whole lot on this defense year one, barring a rash of injuries that neither one of us want to see. I think he'll be a core special teamer. He'll have a jersey on game day, uh, but probably not a lot of defensive action for this guy. I I look at Dorian Williams, and yeah, he, he's going to be a depth piece, um, but it was funny. Something sparked in my head, not that it was really talked about when I was on that Joe DeRosa cover one show under review this weekend, where he talked about Bernard as being kind of a package rotational player potentially. And then all of a sudden you bring in Taylor Rapp as kind of a small linebacker and dime packages. And I was like, you know, 
I wonder if there is a plan for Dorian Williams in certain instances, and they want him in his athleticism and his, his absolute wrecking mentality out there, depending on the personnel looks and depending on the game plan and things like that, where he isn't necessarily anyone's direct backup, but he has a skill set that they want to try to take advantage of in limited doses coming this coming season. And maybe that's kind of his wheelhouse this season. I, I do think at the end that there is going to be a hope that he can maybe turn into a Mike eventually. I still am living in that world. I, I don't think that they would draft him and even kind of talk about that early on after picking him, unless that was a real thought. But maybe the immediate future for him is kind of package-based, game plan-based, things like that, where he has a couple really good things that he does already that you can kind of highlight in certain packages and in certain personnel forms and everything like that against certain opponents that maybe he can excel at just to kind of get him comfortable and get him going early on in his career. Linebacker is going to be fascinating this year for this team, because if whoever wins the middle linebacker job turns out to be a weakness on this team, and it's a noticeable hole on this defense, Brandon Bean's going to be under a little bit of heat because two years in a row, he's taken a linebacker on day two of the draft. And, Right now, neither one of them are tracking toward really helping out with that issue, although we did mention earlier Bernard um, is still in the running very much so. In the fifth round, the Bills took wide receiver Justin Shorter out of Florida. I don't think he's going to factor too much into the offense year one. In fact, I feel very confident in that, barring injuries, of course. Uh, but this is a guy that I think is a perfect type of player to coach up and develop, and maybe by next year, if Gabe Davis moves on, or if Trent Sherfield doesn't come back, that this is a guy that could really help you next year, maybe with some of the same thoughts you had for Khalil Shakir this year. And I think right out of the box, he's a guy that's going to be active on game day because he is going to be one of your best special teams players. That was his resume at Florida. Unteachable size, very good speed, very good hands. There's a lot to work with here. Not sure it's going to help out too, too much year one, but this guy I think is a roster lock, and uh, and I'm excited to see what the future holds for him. I think Shorter is, as you said, a roster lock when it comes to his special teams kind of abilities and everything he should be able to provide on that front. And then also he just has zero pressure when it comes to needing any sort of kind of production out of him. So we can kind of add his own speed and add his own comfort, develop and maybe hone in that skill set at the receiver position. So then, yeah, next season or even the year after that, he could maybe finally start seeing a little bit more of a production and a usage in the offense and kind of figure it out at the receiver position and then go from there. I, I, I think it's a great spot for him to be, to be honest, like just to learn how to be a pro ease into the pro life and be a special teamer and then sit back and watch Diggs, Davis, Sherfield, Hardy, all these guys in front of them do the work that they need them to do. And he can just absorb it from there, figure it out and go at his own pace. And that's a big, big thing I think for him. Seventh round, the Bills took interior offensive lineman Nick Broker. Uh, I think this is going to be the first one that we get to tonight that I think the path to the 53 is pretty challenging. I think this is a guy that is probably most realistically headed for the practice squad, and I would say his best opportunity to have a future with the Bills, given the contract to McGovern, given what they invested in Osiris Torrance, is probably cross-training this year as much as he can and trying to learn center and maybe try to be the guy down the line that replaces Mitch Morris. But barring injuries, Luca, I, I think it's going to be hard for Nick Broker to crack this team because one position on the offensive line they're fairly deep at is interior. 
They didn't hit a home run in the seventh round. Darn. He's going to be on the practice squad. It just is what it is. I don't need to go any further than that. But, but, but Isaiah Hodgins, Luca, Wyatt Teller, Luca, every yeah. pick that we doesn't make our team is a disaster. I mean, I mean, I guess Richard wild goose hasn't turned into sauce Gardner. People forget that it's only the ones that come back to bite you. And uh, Brandon Bean gets no credit for trading uh, a ham sandwich for Ryan Bates and getting a starting offensive lineman. It's only the mistakes that get brought up. Anyway, I digress. Seventh round, Alex Austin, defensive back. I think this one's interesting. I haven't heard much out of him in camp. I like the prospect for where they took him and what he could be. And I think defensive back is just going to be fascinating on cut down day because we've we've seen nothing but glowing reports out of Cam Lewis. They get dinged up on Sunday. Got to keep an eye on that. Thanks a lot for the high pass, Kyle Allen, by the way. Um, <laughs> I think he's going to make the team. It sure sounds like Saran Neal is going to make it despite the fact that Bills could save a couple million against the cap. He's just too, too valuable on special teams. And I think they still value him defensively somewhat. We know Taylor Rapp's going to be out there. Um, and it sure seems like DeMar Hamlin's probably going to make the team. So I just don't see a path for Alex Austin to make this team barring injury, but if they could sneak him onto the roster, I think this is somebody corners are hard to find. I know he was a seventh round pick. I think kind of like Richard wild goose. He's someone they could lose on the practice squad, but at the end of the day, super bowl contending roster, you have to make tough decisions and you have to keep your best 53. I would predict at this point, Alex Austin. Alex Austin, they try to get it on the practice squad. And if they don't, they don't look Alex Austin needs to do something special in a preseason game or in one of these practices to really stand out for me to think anything else. He's going to be cut. He's going to be a practice squad guy. It's just the reality he lives in with a deep, you know, I'm going to call it secondary situation that the bills find themselves in. And yeah, you, you said it early on the path for him to make this roster as difficult as it is. The people in front of him are kind of good at their individual items and he just needs to excel at something above one of them to maybe make them question it. I don't know if I necessarily see it out of a rookie. It would be a dumb bet to say something like that. So overall, I think he'd be on the practice squad. And if if someone else claims him and you know signs him to theirs, whatever the situation might be at cutdown time, so be it. I'm not going to lose sleep over losing Alex Austin unless he turns into an all pro, but the odds are not in his favor for that. So we'll see how that goes. I am with you. So that is our rookie stock watch. We will revisit this next week after we have the knowledge of whatever happened in the Colts preseason game. I think a handful of these guys could play. And speaking of guys that will or won't play in the Colts preseason game, Luca, that leads us to our next game. Our last game before we get to rivals watch. It's a game I'm going to call in or out. And this is very simply, I'm going to read a player to you. You tell me whether you think they will be playing against the Colts or whether they will be in street clothes, nice and protected on the sideline, bubble wrapped, as they say. Context of this is this is the Bills' first preseason game. Last year, they, in their first preseason game, they rested pretty much anybody that was pegged to have a starting role or an important role. I'm, I'm not just talking about Josh Allen, Diggs, and Von Miller. I'm talking about Gregory Rousseau going into his second year. Dane Jackson, who we thought was still competing with Kyrie Elam and Christian Benford, he sat on the sidelines. Saran Neal didn't even play in the game. So all of that in mind, Devin Singletary didn't. All of that in mind, I'm going to start reading off a list of players. I'll let you know if I agree or disagree. Don't feel like you have to go too much into it if you don't want to, but we're going to start off with a big name here. James Cook, will he be active against the Colts? No, he will be inactive. 
I, I agree wholeheartedly. Dalton Kincaid, I, for the context, all the rookies played last year, including Kyrie Elam. So, yeah, this is a fascinating one because of that exact point you just made, but I'm going to say he is inactive. He will not be dressed for week one. We are in lockstep. No need to see Dalton Kincaid. Now, Luca, I do want to bring up one point you brought up off the air that I think is at least valid here about maybe why the Bills could consider treating this preseason game a little different than the standard first preseason game. Yeah, so essentially I am fascinated to see how they do this overall because the one thing that we just have no record or kind of history on is the fact that since they've gone down to three preseason games, this is the first time the Bills then only have one home preseason game and then have two on the road. And the reason is because, of course, they have the extra home game in the regular season, although that extra home game is in London, so figure that one out. But um, overall, it's like, look, you have only one home preseason game. It is, we believe, or I believe to be the kids day game because there is only one as well. It's generally a special opportunity for those individuals who are there because they don't make it to regular season games. And yes, it might be week one, but because it's the only opportunity in front of your own fans, maybe you do something a little bit out of norm and change it up a little bit just due to those kind of circumstances. It is a business. You need to do what you always do things like that and we fully understand it but it's just a dynamic that we really have never had to deal with prior and have experienced anything with as fans so that's where the unknown kind of comes into this a little bit and it will be interesting to see if they kind of like cater to the fans a little bit and maybe even dressed players that we don't like james cook for instance i don't think that'll happen but maybe they do dress a dalton kincaid for a drive just to give the fans something that they want to see because it's really going to be the only opportunity for a lot of those people that are making a preseason game that just can't make it to regular season games i understand the argument and the first name I thought of was Dalton Kincaid. I don't think you mess around with the franchise quarterback. Sorry, folks. I understand you paid yeah. for this ticket. It is it is the biggest ripoff in the NFL, and I sympathize with every single one of you. But I hope that we all understand that there is a bigger issue here than entertaining the fans in August. Um, all right, Luca, let's move on, and let's do Osiris Torrance. Yes, I believe he will be active. I'm with you. I, I'm with you. I think this is actually kind of a direct comparison last year to Kyir Elam, where in competition for that starting job, an incumbent starter in his way, we saw Kyir Elam play, and I do think reps will help Osiris Torrance. I actually think there's a chance that Ryan Bates starts at center in this game, at least for a couple drives. We'll see what happens there. Damian Harris. Yes, I believe Damian Harris will be active. Hey, it's our first one we disagree on. I'm going to say no, Ooh. and I will tell you why. Uh, they already lost Naheem Hines <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think they have big plans for Damian Harris this year. I think James Cook is going to be the featured back, but I think Damian Harris is going to matter a lot. And I don't think Brandon Bean has any interest in seeing anything stupid happen to Damian Harris in the first preseason game. So I think he's going to be perfectly content to see people that won't matter carry the rock week one. So that, that'll be the one we disagree on Tyrell Dodson, Luca. No, I believe he will be inactive. I'm with you. Uh, direct comparison to Dane Jackson last year. I, I think I think he gets the treatment of we need to keep you healthy. We, we kind of know what you can do. And maybe this is a good opportunity to see somebody else in extended looks. Terrell Bernard. 
Next one. Terrell Bernard. Yeah. Terrell Bernard will be active. And I just want to see him redeem himself after almost being caught by an offensive lineman on a scoop and score as I most likely potentially could be there to watch this. So I will be watching him with a close eye. And if he's on a scoop and score situation and he is unable to separate once again from an offensive lineman chasing him down, I will have my questions. Yeah, Terrell Bernard is going to play. I think he needs reps. I, I, the game looked a little too fast for him last year. And, you know, there's a certain skill involved in just getting the, getting the calls in the huddle and, and making checks. And I think that the Bills want to see his comfort zone there. And I want to, I think they probably want to see it the next week in Pittsburgh, too, in a road environment for whatever the road environment is in the preseason. Dane Jackson. I believe he will be inactive. I do not believe Dane Jackson will be playing. I'm with you. He didn't play last year. I think he has a looser grip on a starting role than he did last year. Context is Tredavious White was already out. They probably didn't want to risk Dane Jackson. Plus it gave them extended looks at Kyrie Elam and Christian Benford. But again, I think it's a respect thing. I think they kind of know what they have in Dane Jackson. They're not going to put him out there. Kyrie Elam. He will be active. I believe Kyrie will be playing and I expect him to be the one situation in this. I do too. I, th I think uh, Kyrie Elam and Christian Benford will play and probably play maybe a lot, maybe, you know, first whole first quarter, maybe, you know, two or three drives, depending on how it goes. And sometimes those drives are quick in preseason. So, you know, it could be, <laughs> be more than that. And, you know, and I don't even mean this as a joke, so I hope it doesn't come off as condescendingly because you mentioned kids day, you mentioned giving the fans what they want. And, you know, Josh Allen is obviously number one. Stefan Diggs would be up there too. Dalton Kincaid really high on the list, but man, this last guy I'm going to mention, Luca. I don't know why I put him on the list because I think he almost certainly should play. Uh, but this will be a cool moment for everybody in attendance, and maybe worth the price of admission as it is. Demar Hamlin. So Demar Hamlin's an interesting one to me. I would say I can see a world where he's listed as active and he doesn't see the field once. I almost see a situation, and maybe they do play him for a drive. And that would be probably what I would say the most, but I see a situation where they want him to get ready. They want him to be suited up and then just kind of see how he feels because there's just a different dynamic to his situation than any other uh, professional athlete for that matter. Like it will be fascinating to see if they have him dress, get ready and then get out there on the field. And then if they give him game time, everyone. And when I say everyone, I mean, everyone will be watching number three and seeing what happens when he goes in at a tackle for the first time since the last time we saw him on the field. So yeah, it's a very unique and uh, one of one situation. And we obviously all hope it works out gloriously, but it will be fascinating. I think they're going to, I think he's going to start on defense. I think they're going to introduce the defense. I think they're going to introduce him last and I think there'll be a lot of non-dry eyes in that building for the magnitude of that moment. And it'll be cool. It'll be really cool. I'm excited for it. I'm also excited, Luca, for our Friday night show, Bill's Chat Live on Built in Buffalo YouTube, Facebook. And, you know, the, the, um, the replay will get put up on Bill's Chat YouTube also. And we will be covering this game in much more depth. Now, we're not going to go into X's and O's. There's certainly not a lot of strategy here, but... Luca and I will dive more into some of the positions we're looking looking forward to seeing. And I, I'll tell you, I have a list of a couple guys we haven't talked about tonight um, that I'm very excited to see because some of the veterans in front of them that I think the Bills thought they could count on are not looking so sharp in, in preseason. And they're one injury away from really mattering. So I think there's some guys that could really matter. Look forward to talking about that. 
on Bill's Chat Live on Friday. And then we'll be back next Monday for Bill's Chat. Before we get into Rivals Watch, Luga, one question about Bill's Chat next Monday. Are we doing game balls and game checks for preseason? I we can't. Can we? Okay, that, okay that fair seems, enough. That fair seems enough. a bit that seems a bit tough. I, I think we okay. need to reserve that for the regular season. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I, I wanted to leave it up to you. I know you're Mr. Anti Preseason. All right. Well, <laughs> true. We as the hypocrite that Luca is, he will be in attendance for the game as Mr. Anti Preseason. So Look, if you see I somebody invited, really cranky. I, it's a Saturday afternoon in the sun. How am I supposed to say no and enjoy a couple beers with a bud while football is being happening or is happening in front of me? I, I can't say no to such a thing. I won't be paying attention a whole heck of a lot. I'm going to try to entertain myself a little bit, but yeah, no, I, I, I can, I can do it when it comes to going to it. I'm not going to sit and watch it on a television. I can tell you that for free. I can tell you. So what you just said is interesting. You said you're not going to be paying attention a whole heck of a lot. I, and what you mean by that is you're not going to be like, caring about who has the lead or like yeah. what, what down and distance it is. You're you'll pay attention to it in ways that are interesting. You'll watch specific players. In fact, I remember last year you came back to me and was like this, this Christian Correct. Benford kid, I watched every snap of him and he is legit. And so I think that is the most valuable part of preseason. I, I don't really care whatsoever if the bills win this game, I guess if it makes anybody happy, sure. But uh, yeah, if you're at the game and you happen to see Luca, take a picture and send it to us at bills chat. And I'm going to see how grumpy <laughs> he looks mid game. All right, Luca, that is kind of our little review of what's been going on with the Buffalo Bills. And now it's time to spin it around and talk about some of these teams the Bills are going to be playing in the 2023 season. And tonight on Rivals Watch, we are focused on the NFC East. And we are going to start off with the Washington Commanders. They were 8-8-1 last year. Interestingly enough, no team in the NFC East last year had a losing record. So that kind of goes to what we said earlier about how maybe the NFC East could be the hardest division in football. I think it might be the AFC East, which is not ideal. Um, but last year, the Washington Commanders had the 20th total offense and the third total defense. The Carson Wentz experience did not work out well for them. I'm happy to report that a fourth team did not decide to give up a premium asset for Carson Wentz now after watching three other teams really regret it. So the good thing about the NFL, Luca, is they can learn. It takes them a while sometimes, but Carson Wentz is currently a free agent. Their head coach is Ron Rivera. He's going into his fourth year as a head coach with the, with the commanders. He obviously had a long resume before that with the Carolina Panthers, 22 and 27 in one record. He's had not had a winning season yet with the commanders did make the playoffs in 2020 with a seven and nine record. The rules of the NFL state that one team from each division has to make it. And by God, seven and nine got it done. And the very first part I want to talk about tonight, Luca is Ron Rivera, because when I look at this team, I look at new ownership. I look at a coach going into his fourth season yet to put out a winning product. I look at a roster that as we go through this exercise tonight, I think at best is the third best team in this division, but realistically, probably fourth. You're the bet guy. You're the gambling guy. If I could find some odds on first head coach fired, Ron Rivera might be near the top of the list for me. It's it's an interesting one because I don't think Ron Rivera is a bad coach, and I don't think he has ever done a bad job with this Washington team, even though, as you pointed out so perfectly, he has never had a winning record. Of course, that is perfectly said because of the 8-8-1 eight, eight record that he had last season. 
the what makes it so interesting though is he needs to be extraordinary this year or else he is most certainly fired with the new ownership there will come a point in time where they finally evaluate everything top to bottom and you will just see naturally that they want to go with what is called their guy and ron rivera is not their guy so he kind of has the deck stacked against him as it is in that sense so he has to kind of go crazy and yet as you also pointed out this is not exactly a roster that's meant to blow the doors off of every team offensively and is not one that it's it's not a bad defense, but it's, you know, average on a good day. It's it maybe above average on a great day. Um, they have pieces. It's just you don't have the whole thing. It's you're you're you have an individual like Scary Terry, Terry McLaurin at wide receiver. And then after that, it's Jahan Dotson going into the second year. But oh, wait, Sam Howell is your quarterback throwing him the ball. It's like for for every reason you can talk yourself with this team being like, well, they do have some guys. They have some things. It's like, oh, but by the way, in order for them to be productive, they have this. Or it's like, hey, you have Chase Young and Montez Sweat, great edge rushers, and you have Deron Payne in the middle. And it's like, that's awesome. But then it's like everyone behind them is not the greatest of athlete and greatest of player. So those you, you probably are getting dink and dunked because they don't need to sit back and wait for something to open up and stuff and, and allow your pass rushers to get there. They're going to probably be able to get things out and into open spaces quick and early. So it's just the deck is stacked, stacked against him. And yeah, it, when it comes to betting odds with the NFL and coaches, Ron Rivera has definitely got to be at the top of the list, if not near the top of the list as first to go, because everything is against him. New owners come in and it's like at the first sign of issues, at the first sign of trouble, he's going to be gone. It's just the reality that he lives in, unfortunately. And again, I don't think it's because he's a bad coach. He's just in a bad situation and doesn't have a great team around him to kind of coach up. So it's just going to be an inevitable thing. And new owners like to bring in their own guy, but they have a guy in house that's very interesting. Eric Bieniemy was was brought in as offensive coordinator this offseason, and I do think that gives their offense a chance to really be the best version of itself, whatever that capability is, in an offense led by Sam Howell. But I will say, Eric Bieniemy at least gives me pause of I don't know, maybe this could work. I wonder, Luca, if the timing of the ownership change prevented them from being more aggressive at quarterback because there were some names out there available this offseason, most notably Lamar Jackson. And it seemed like maybe the, the NFL teams took a united front, like, oh, we're not gonna, we're not gonna go against the shield, we're not gonna uh pay Lamar Jackson all the guaranteed money. But Washington absolutely fit the bill of a team that you're staring at Jalen Hurts. You're dealing with Brian Dayball, you're dealing with Dak Prescott and the Cowboys star. You need a star at quarterback. And you have Sam Howell and Jacoby Brissett. And that's where I want to go to next. Because I think this is a quarterback competition. I, I It sounds like Sam Howell is going to win it. Jacoby Brissett is a guy that has played well at times in his career. But I think when you look at when Jacoby Brissett's played well, there's been one thing that each one of those teams has had in common. A very good offensive line. When he played for the Colts, they had a good offensive line. When he played for the Browns last year, they had a very good offensive line. And Jacoby Brissett proved to be serviceable. Not good, serviceable. He has a very long release. He's very slow to get rid of the ball. We saw he was almost unplayable in 2021 when he was quarterback for the Miami Dolphins at times because their offensive line was horrendous. Now he goes to Washington, who PFF ranks as the 27th ranked offensive line. 
four new starters and a rookie center in Ricky Stromberg. Not an ideal situation for Jacoby Brissett, maybe even less ideal for Sam Howell. Do you feel pretty good that it's going to be Sam Howell? Yeah, I'm I'm fairly confident it's going to be Sam Howell. I think Jacoby Brissett was kind of a guy they brought in as an insurance policy. And hey, don't hey Jake Fromm's on that roster too. Don't mind you, you know. Oh my goodness. <laughs> There's the but bills no. too. Yeah. <laughs> so Jacoby Brissett, though, I think was brought in kind of as an insurance policy just in case Sam Howell kind of fell off a shelf in preseason or something happened, you know, barring injury, of course. And then maybe you have a guy who can at least run a serviceable offense. Um, but overall, I don't think he does anything on, as you're putting it, with a average at best team around him or at least in front of him. Uh, that he can do something out of that. So with Brian Robinson it, behind him as your lead back, and then just a subpar offensive line in front of him, I, I don't look at Jacoby Brissett as the guy, and at least Sam Howell might be able to create something out of nothing potentially. But it's what that something is, I'm not even sure. Overall, though, I do believe it's Sam Howell's job. It, it'll be fascinating to see, I guess. But this is going to be... I'm trying to be really polite to Washington. Washington could be a struggle of a watch, even with the offensive coordinator situation, you know, having an Eric B enemy and trying to get the best out of it. You're only as good as your lead man and your lead man's your quarterback. And if Sam Howell is your guy, that's not the prettiest of sights in my opinion. And you mentioned the defense that they have some dudes, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Montez sweat. Chase young is not as good as advertised. He, he has had kind of an up and down career, um, really good rookie year. Didn't even get his fifth year option picked up. But as a whole, that is a that is a tough unit. But I will tell you, Luca, when I looked at this Washington team, they remind me so much of a drought Bills team, where it's like, okay, you, you got some weapons. Like Terry McLaurin's a nice receiver. If only he had a quarterback, how good could he be? How many times have we said that about Eric Molds and Lee Evans and maybe even Stevie Johnson, depending. I mean, Fitz was fine with Stevie. Jahan Dotson's a good receiver too. Um, and then, hey, defensive line, they got some dudes. But who's the quarterback? Sam Howe? Who's the quarterback? Trent Edwards? Like, I, I know Lee Evans and Terrell Owens are good, but can Trent Edwards support that? I kind of have my doubts. Uh, they feel like a drought Bills team to me where they're probably going to sneak up on some teams this year and, and maybe hurt them. But uh, overall, I don't think it's going to amount to many wins. And I will tell you, as we transition now to this being the bills third game of the season, I do wish the bills were playing them later in the year, because I think this is the kind of team that by November and December could be in run for the bus mode. Uh, I think Ron Rivera could be fired. I think they could be in chaotic. Let's just get to the off season mode playing in front of a half empty stadium by week three. That's not going to be the case by week three. Everybody still has hope. Uh, I'm not expecting Washington to go man for man and beat the bills, but I think in week three, you're going to get their best shot, particularly with a Super Bowl favorite coming to their building. I assume their fans are going to be pretty excited. And I will say the teams that make me the most nervous about the Bills right now defensively are the teams that can apply pressure with their front four. And they can certainly do that. But I'm going to ask you your opinion on that matchup with the Bills in a second. But I will say they knew they had to get better in the secondary this offseason because of what's going on in their division with A.J. Brown and Smith with CeeDee Lamb and Cooks, with Brian Dayball and all the slot receivers they're building in New York, but and, and uh, Darren Waller they brought in, and their best quarterback was Kendall Fuller, who is okay. 
And they brought in Emmanuel Forbes in the first round, who seemed like kind of a reach, but he's going to start. They brought in Jartavis Martin in the second round, who you and I were both high on, but he's going to start at Nickelback. Something tells me, Luca, Josh Allen and Diggs and Davis and Ken Dorsey will be able to find those rookies on the field. Um, I, I understood what you were saying, where you don't want to play this team early and you'd prefer to play them late. That all makes sense. It's just, I don't care. <laughs> the the skill gap and just the organizational gap between us being the Bills and them being Washington is so large that it's like week one, week 18, week 12, I don't care. On every day possible, the Bills should be able to go in and easily take care of business. That is on paper, of course. You still have to play the game. That's why they say any given Sunday. But like... I, I, it's just, I don't care like when it happens, but overall, yeah. When you're looking at the matchups and you see those rookie corners that will be starting and starting a lot for this team, especially in certain matchups against a passing team, like the bills, you would think that they're going to be able to see things early on, especially with a couple weeks of tape under them to kind of exploit exactly what they can and what, you know, with rookies, it seems like you can highlight the tendencies and highlight the issues with them early on a lot more than your your average second, third, fourth year player. So it's like they're going to be able to probably pick up a couple things and just go at it and attack it nonstop because that seems to be what Josh Allen and the Bills have done for years now. It's like you find that one thing and you try to attack it as much as you can in the passing game. It seems like it's it's a drool-worthy kind of situation for the bills in my opinion when it comes to facing this team and um yeah it's 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 a mismatch and a half it's a mismatch between the bills and the commanders that's for sure there's issues with their defensive line against the bills offensive line it's early the crowd could be in it if if the crowd stays in it maybe that makes it harder on the offensive line but the larger point is if the bills are who we think they are and if they are a super bowl contender you don't lose to the sam howell team you just don't um, so we both feel good that the Bills are going to win week three. How many games are the are, are the Commanders going to win? That was, uh, how many games are the Commanders going to win in 2023? The Commanders, even with a softer-ish schedule, are going to probably only win five games. Um, yeah. The Commanders are not a team that's really going – like you, you said it well uh, earlier, they probably will be able to catch a team or two – kind of off their game a little bit if they're not a hundred percent again any given Sunday you can make things happen but overall they're just not impressive and like F A Obata is one of their biggest depth edge pieces right now so they're an injury away from playing a guy who could barely make the roster for the bills like that's that's the situation this 52 man roster looks like right now and it's just eventually injuries do happen and eventually you're not your hundred percent and reality sinks in that you're just not that good. And that's when the losses string to get themselves together. And eventually you just find yourself at five and 13 or five, sorry, doing my math wrong here, five and 12. And it's just a lost season. And as we talked about it to start with this team, your head coach is fired and you're kind of reevaluating everything from top to bottom and figuring it out from there. One coach who will not get fired this year is Brian Dable. He is the reigning coach of the year from 2022. His New York Giants went 9-7-1. and one. If you're doing math at home, you can probably figure out now that the Giants and the Commanders tied last year. That's where those <laughs> ones come in. 
The Giants made the playoffs last year, Luca, and won a playoff game in exciting fashion in Minnesota. And they did so with the 18th ranked offense and 25th ranked defense. Um, so I think in a lot of ways, last year's Giants team resembled the 2017 Bills, where maybe they punched above their weight class, outperformed the skill on the roster, while the GM was in a situation cleaning up a mess that was left behind by a reckless GM with Dave Gettleman. And clean it up, Joe Shane has. The Giants' three-year outlook for their outlook for their cap is in the top third of the league as far as cap room and future cap room. And for a market like New York to have that kind of spending equity, that's going to be fantastic for them because they don't ever have trouble convincing people to come play in New York. That's not the issue. So I think the Giants are heading in the right direction. They did sign Daniel Jones to an extension this offseason. Kind of one of those extensions. It looks like a four-year extension, but when you look under the hood, really only the first year of the extension is what's guaranteed they can get out. So two years of Daniel Jones because they extended it beyond 2023. I think they could get out of it if they have to. Uh, they got the Saquon Barkley situation handled with the franchise tag. They they put a little extra sugar in his deal, uh, make him feel better, and he, he showed up. Um, I think this team has some talent. A weird mix of wide receivers, uh, a lot of slots, a lot of former Buffalo Bills, Isaiah Hodgins, Cole Beasley, Jamison Crowder, and then also in the slot, Paris Campbell. And then Jalen Hyatt was like primarily a slot for uh, Tennessee, although I think he has the skill set to play elsewhere. Um, kind of a weird wide receiver group, but man, I, I love the move they made to trade for Darren Waller this offseason, only having to give up a third round pick in a draft that I think was fairly shallow as it was. Um, I want to start there with the weapons, though, Luca, because on one hand, the Giants were a team, won a playoff game, and they had a screaming need for an alpha receiver. And maybe they think they got that in Darren Waller. Perhaps they did. But I thought for sure, given their cap room, given their situation, given their screaming need for a boundary receiver, they made as much, if not the most sense for DeAndre Hopkins of any team in the league. And similar to when you inserted... Stefan Diggs at the top of the Bills wide receiver depth chart. And then all of a sudden, whoa, John Brown went from a one to a two. Love that. Cole Beasley goes from a two to a three. Love that. I think the Giants could have had a similar situation. Are you surprised they didn't go after DeAndre Hopkins? I'm surprised they didn't go after a more proven number one. I think that's the way I'll put it because I don't think they were just limited in DeAndre Hopkins. So to answer your question more directly, yes, I am surprised, but I think they could have gone about it in other ways as well. And I'm surprised that it really, you didn't hear anything about that. They weren't trying to test the open market or not even the open market, test the trade market and see who is available potentially to be that kind of step up number one guy in this offense, because it is a strange, it is a strange weapon kind of situation it's a strange receiver room in general or more specifically actually like isaiah hodgins is your one darius slayton comes in you got or comes in he's still there i should say paris campbell comes in you draft jalen hyatt which is awesome don't forget about former bills legend david sills the fifth josh come on don't oh for, don't be forgetting about him uh but overall it's like other than David Sills the fifth, it's like where's your where's your height? Where's your where's your length? I mean, Jalen Hyatt. I, I don't have all of their specifications in front of me, but Darius Slayton and Jalen Hyatt, I think, are your two largest wide receivers. Oh, Hodgins I, will be I, the tallest one, I think. 
is Hodgins that tall? I just Hodgins is Hodgins is a tall guy. Yeah, uh, I'll I'll yeah, get his height. Okay. Go ahead and finish your point. Yeah, but yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll get his it's, height. It's right just in. it's a strange mosh posh of receivers, and like the most exciting ones to me are Jalen Hyatt, Wondell Robinson, those kinds of guys that can be potential. Uh, Paris Campbell, I mentioned before, those guys can be X factors, and I think they can be a lot of fun. But again, a lot of those to me are kind of more slot kind of focus. I do think Jalen Hyatt, you and I both share this. He can run a lot more of the route tree than it seems like people are on him about. Um, so I don't necessarily peg him as just a slot guy or whatever to just run up the seam or do things like that or just run a go route on the outside as well. I, I think he can do a lot for that offense. But overall, it's a little questionable on why they didn't go at more of a true number one outside receiver weapon. But maybe – just maybe the plan really was for that kind of guy to be Darren Waller. Maybe it really was to just go at Darren Waller. He is kind of your true number one receiving weapon. And then everything else on the outside and on the boundary becomes kind of your complement to Darren Waller and Saquon Barkley. Your, your two biggest offensive weapons, Josh, are basically on you know on the tackle or behind the tackle and offensive line like they're they are right there in the middle part of the field not on your boundary so it's almost like everything outside of that becomes a complement and everything inside in your center part of the field is your key focus of the offense so it will be interesting to see what they do now that they still don't have kind of that true number one guy that true kind of DeAndre Hopkins Stefan Diggs type at the wide receiver one position. Isaiah Hodgins is six, four, just for the record. But I will really? say if he turns into their number one receiver and it works, that's going to sting. Ho Isaiah Hodgins is six. He, I, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I guess I don't watch a whole heck of a lot of Isaiah Hodgins or we haven't seen a whole heck of a lot of them. Obviously we saw a little bit of him here in Buffalo and there was an uproar about him going, but he does not seem like a six, four guy to me, to be quite honest. <laughs> yeah. And he's a decent route runner, but again, I, I don't know that he's necessarily somebody you want to look at as your one. I will give the giants credit. I, I think that they were true to themselves and they could have gone out and traded for or signed Deandre Hopkins whenever he was available, but maybe they took a look at the landscape and they're like, this isn't the year to go all in the, the Eagles maybe the best roster in the entire sport with a quarterback who's just starting to come into his own. The Cowboys kind of on maybe the last year or two of this window where they are a very talented roster and stick to the plan, that three-year window of having the salary cap space. Let's just continue to pepper this team with draft picks and smart roster moves. So I give them credit for that. I, I like the way they're building it and, and not trying to be something they're not because I don't think DeAndre Hopkins on the Giants turns them into a Super Bowl contender. I think the upside for them with DeAndre Hopkins is probably right where they wound up last year, second round of the playoffs before they ultimately run into a team that is a Super Bowl contender. Uh, but defensively, Luca, this team has some dudes, some guys that I think can wreak havoc and I, and you know, obviously challenge the Bills. Dexter Lawrence might be the best nose tackle in the entire sport for my money. He is. Uh, Leonard William gives them another strong force on the inside. They have some high upside edge rushers. Um, Aziz Ojolari is a guy that I really liked in the draft, had eight sacks his rookie year, kind of tailed off in 2022. Injuries were a thing. Only played seven or eight games last year. Um, and then Kayvon Thibodeau was a really high draft pick, struggled early, came on late. There is some real upside here with these edge defenders, particularly when you look on what's going on in the interior of this offense or this defensive line. But 
maybe somewhat similar to Washington. Now, not as bad as Washington. The concern is what's behind the line. And that is why the defense ranked so low is they have a Dory Jackson. He's going to be starting opposite rookie cornerback Deontay Banks. How quickly Banks um, becomes NFL ready is really going to be everything you need to know about this defense because they're counting on him a lot. Can he hold up? If he can't, teams like the Bills will find him. Um, I think this is a team that has a chance to be decent on defense, decent on offense, and decent overall. One last point before I kick it back to you. I know I've just said a lot here. I think their offensive line is really bad. Uh, PFF ranked them as the 29th ranked offensive line in the league, which is weird because they have one of the best offensive tackles in the sport and Andrew Thomas. Evan Neal was kind of a disappointment for them last year. Um, they're, I think they're counting on a big jump from him at right tackle to be that bookend with Andrew Thomas. They're going to be starting a rookie at center and John Michael Smith's a player I like a lot, but man, a rookie center, that's that's bold. Uh, good luck with that. I, I think I love the player, but we'll see what happens. But overall, Luca, I think this is a good, solid team. I'm much better. I think they're better than the Commanders, the team we just talked about. Um, but um, I'm not overall like petrified of what the Giants are bringing to the table. Yeah, I, I will say just the Giants as a whole. I like their team more so than I liked them last year. I, I think they didn't like go and make moves that blow me away, and they still have their issues. The offensive line, as you highlighted, is definitely their biggest issue and again it is crazy that they have Andrew Thomas there at left tackle and yet you still sit there and go they're a bottom five maybe on a good day bottom 10 offensive line like when you have one of if not the best left tackle in the sport and yet you're still that bad that just shows you how bad the other four are unfortunately so it's you have your question marks you have your problems the secondary is definitely something although i will say i am definitely a fan of deontay banks i think he can be a guy if he can figure out the speed of the league and kind of get up to speed quicker than you know sooner rather than later uh that could be something great for them because Dory jackson i think is a is a solid corner in his own right on a good day i think uh they have guys that can step up and make things happen. And then the the defensive line should be able to carry a lot of the load for them because they are all premier players kind of across the board there. Um, overall, I expect them to be a better team than they were last year. And they were already a pretty good team. It's just, can that offense basically not be so dependent on Saquon Barkley? Because they, my thing with the Giants is, well, I, I don't remember the exact number, and unfortunately, I wasn't able to dive in as deep as I usually do with these segments, but I remember a stat being out there where Saquon Barkley was close to 40% of their entire offense's production, and it's like that's an obscene amount of production, or at least percentage of production for any team. Like It shouldn't even come anywhere close to something like that. And luckily for them, Saquon was able to stay healthy for the most part. I think he got banged up late in the season there, but for the most part, he was able to stay healthy. It's like, can he do that again, though? I don't know. I mean, you can't ask a guy to be 40% of your offense year after year and expect him to remain healthy for all 17 games. That's just that's just not fair. I don't care who you are as a player and as an athlete. That's just a lot. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of wear and tear that eventually your body will break down. So that's kind of where I look at them and I go, can they do it differently? Bringing in a Darren Waller is a great move to kind of just get another weapon in there, figure out things. You got Paris Campbell, which is nice. And then hopefully Jalen Hyatt, the rookie, can kind of excel and open up down the field situations for them. But 
you need the time to do it. And that's where the offensive line question mark comes into play and stuff like that. So it's, it's an intriguing team. I think they should be a better team overall this year, but yeah, when it comes to then pulling it to the bills, I'm not sure if there's really too much of a threat there. That Sunday night game in Western New York should be one of those games where the giants might be able to get a splash player two on the bills early on, but then the class of the Bills should be able to separate come the second half and eventually make it kind of the game we expected it to be. So I have this stat. Saquon Barkley accounted for 29% of their total yards, which is still astounding in 2022 when it's such a passing sport that one player would account for nearly 30% of your entire That's offense. Nearly 30. Damn. And you I'm have sorry. to wonder if he's even excited about that, because we saw this off season, the giants were unwilling to give him a long-term deal. Not just the giants, every team in football seems hesitant to pay these running backs. And will you see pushback from guys like Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, who are like, if you're not going to pay me, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be out there running into a brick wall 40 times a game. That's just, it's, it's not fair. I mean, Saquon Barkley was 29% of their offensive uh, offensive production. And Daniel Jones got a new contract. Andrew <laughs> Thomas got a new contract. They traded for Darren Waller and he has a nice contract and he's just Saquon Barkley sitting here like, okay, I'll, I'm going to get as a one-year deal and maybe an attaboy on the way out the door. So it's an interesting time for running backs. Um, it's interesting time to evaluate the human body, Luca, because in this week six game, the bills will be coming back from London and they elected not to take a bye week in between the London game and their game against the giants. So we'll learn a lot about whether or not jet lag coming back from London is a real thing. I think it's a little overhyped, particularly for some of these East Coast teams like the Bills. If you think about it, the flight isn't that much longer than just going out West anyway. Uh, but uh, it'll be interesting to see, and it'll certainly be an excuse I'm ready to use if the Giants win. <laughs> I love that little jab at the end. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I and. I think your point about the West coast is interesting. So I think the jet lag really is more so going over to London. That becomes the problem for teams rather than coming back in my opinion, because you're going with time. We'll call it, I mean, that's basically what you are doing. You're going with time when you fly back, when you're flying towards the United States from the UK, or like, as you put it, if you went from East coast to West coast, you're not losing times and things like that. So it should be something that naturally your body kind of gets used to, or at least gets back on a normal schedule faster. I, I, as someone that kind of lived from East to West and stuff like that for a period of my life, flying to the West coast, I never, I could wake up the next morning as if nothing was going on and everything was fine. It was then coming back. It would kill a day probably to readjust and things like that, but that's West to East. So that would be like going from Buffalo to the UK. So I would imagine they'll just be a little bit more um, proactive when they're kind of, instead of flying out there, I don't think they would do this. I think they would fly out there, say Wednesday before the game on Sunday in London, but it's like, they're going to be a little bit more ahead of schedule so they can at least acclimate from there. And then as soon as they get back, I would imagine maybe you give them one extra rest day or maybe a light work day. And I would think they should be okay. I'm with you. I, I think it's a little overrated in my opinion. But I guess if you want to use it as the excuse and have that in your back pocket, Josh, I do respect it. The pettiness level of that is fantastic. And I will absolutely back you up on that one. I just I don't think that's even like jet lag shouldn't be something that I think would even carry it over the top that all of a sudden we'll see the Giants, you know, be victorious on that Sunday night game. It's just it, it, 
the Giants are at least a step and a half behind the Bills from a roster standpoint and everything like that. I do think they have the coaching there to kind of match up well. It's just the players on the field and the the individuals that need to get the result for them are kind of a step and a half behind what the Bills have. So you just really got to catch the Bills on a bad day and the Giants to be on their A game in order for it to work out in their favor. And if there's one coach that might know the weaknesses of Josh Allen, it might be Brian Dayball. So that'll be all interesting. I'm with you. I think the Bills win the game. I, I think it'll probably be one of those uncomfortable wins, whether it's jet lag, whether it's Giants playing well. I think the Giants have the ability to make the game close in the fourth quarter, but I feel like Josh Allen in Buffalo, he's going to find a way to make that extra play to get the game to the win column. What is the final record prediction for you for these New York football Giants? So this may surprise you after everything we discussed, but I believe that the coaching staff and everything going on at that front for the Giants is excellent. And now they have yet another kind of year in it. I think that defensive line and those edge presence should be able to carry a lot of the load for that defense and should improve a lot for them. Um, overall, I actually can see the Giants being an 11 win team and ultimately going 11. What would that be? 11 and six. Um, I, I, I do believe that they will let let's, let's put it this way. I think they're a win better than last year. And I, they should have probably been a 10 and seven team. It's just for whatever reason, they tied the commanders that one game. So I believe them to be an 11 and six team overall. And I think they should be able to get that done. Um, that should see them right back in the playoffs. And then from there, figure out what they can do. I'm looking at their schedule now, and if they can survive the early portion of it, it does soften up late. And that might sound really weird when you see the Eagles on there twice in two <laughs> of the last three games, but this is kind of the life the bills lived when the Patriots haunted us is you always wanted to play the Patriots the last week of the season in hopes that the game wouldn't matter to the Patriots and you could get a free win that way. Um, so you look at it after the giants play the Cowboys on November 12th and really the day before the week before the Cowboys, they play the Raiders. So I don't think they're going to be anything great after they play at the Cowboys on November 12th. It's at Washington home to the Patriots home to the Jordan Love Packers, at the Saints, at the Eagles, home to the Rams, and then that Eagles game that could be Eagles backups. There, There's a lot of room for the Giants to grow there if they can just withstand what is a pretty tough early start to their schedule. Um, I'm not going to go as heavy as you on them. I'm going to go 10-7. and seven. I believe in the coaching staff a lot. I think that they are currently outclassed by the Cowboys and the Eagles. Maybe they steal one of those games. Out of those four, I'm not going to just assume that the Eagles don't need that week seven, week 18 game if they don't. I mean, bonus if they do. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that's tough. I think that being matched up with the AFC East is tough. Um, so I'm going to go, I'm going to go 10 and seven. I think it's good enough to make the playoffs in the NFC. And uh, we'll see what happens when they get there. Let's move on to our third team, Luca, the Dallas Cowboys, a team that has haunted the Bills in their past. Two Super Bowl wins over the Bills. I guess we could have brought that up with the Giants and the Commanders, too. The Commanders never beat the Bills in the Super Bowl. That was a different team with an R. That's thing. true. The Commanders never beat yeah. the Bills in the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, that's that's end point. <laughs> Cowboys are a fascin fascinating. What was that? A fascinating team. And when I was doing my research, I could not get enough Cowboys content. I am just, I don't know if it's because I watched Undisputed a lot and Skip Bayless is obsessed with them. But this, to me, is one of the most interesting teams in the entire sport because you have Mike McCarthy going into his fourth year, and on the surface, 
34 and 20 record as a Cowboys head coach, got into the playoffs twice. They, they won a road playoff game last year, which is really big. They hadn't done that yet under Dak Prescott. They were 12 and five last year. Uh, they ran into a buzz saw in San Francisco, 11th total offense, 12th total defense. You like both of those, but then you kind of start looking under the hood and there's some good and some bad. The, the good they traded for Brandon cooks and they traded for Stefan Gilmore and gave up some pretty cheap picks to do it. They spent salary, but in a, in a year where the draft was kind of, I don't know, less than impressive. They were like, Hey, we're going to go with the known commodity. Stefan Gilmore and Trayvon Diggs could be a very good cornerback duo for them. Brandon cooks is going to give them a reliable weapon. Finally outside of CD lamb. But then you have to get to the point, Luca, and I will kick it back to you here because I know this is one of your favorite points about the Cowboys, the guy calling the plays because for the life of me, I know there's Cowboy fans that are excited about it, but I cannot understand how to be optimistic about going from Kellen Moore to Brian Schottenheimer. And I know Brian Schottenheimer's thought of nicely in the league circles. And I, I know there was a, a PFF article that ranked him in the top 10 of play callers, but my goodness, Kellen Moore was like the perfect offensive coordinator for this team that started Cooper rush for a lot of games last year. I think that gets lost in the fold and they still finished 11th in total offense. So Luca, the floor is yours about Brian Schottenheimer. When it comes to the Cowboys, I genuinely have no idea why they decided the thing they did. And I think there's an underlying reason and I will get to that in a second, but when they made the decision to let Kellen Moore go essentially, and then he eventually becomes the Los Angeles Chargers offensive coordinator for the, you know, he's basically the same thing over there. And then they go and then on top of it, sign Brian Schottenheimer to be their offensive coordinator. I couldn't have questioned that move more myself. The last time we saw Brian Schottenheimer in any sort of coordinator position, technically people might not remember it, is 2021 when he was the passing game coordinator for the Jacksonville Jaguars under Urban Meyer. Now, that was not an impressive passing game by any stretch of the imagination. A lot of people thought Trevor Lawrence basically looked lost the entire year. You go the seasons prior to that, 2018 to 2020, he was the offensive coordinator overall for the Seattle Seahawks. The biggest knock on him was that he would start out so hot with Russell Wilson in his last season, Russell Wilson could do no wrong, it seemed like, in the first five to six weeks. He was on track to be MVP. But then all of a sudden, it's like he fell off a shelf. And when you peeked under the hood and when you looked at what was going on in that Seattle team, it wasn't like it was a secret. Everyone figured it out. It was like major national media news. They were just too predictable. There was there was no variation. There was no creativity to the offense. It kind of was a, we're going to try to do the three to five best things that Russell Wilson can do and do it repetitively. You know, and you're having DK Metcalf run a go route or just a quick curl and that's about it or whatever it might be. And it's it's too predictable. It just doesn't doesn't kind of keep the defense guessing and eventually the league catches up to you. So how do you make the decision where you have one of the more promising, dynamic, young offensive coordinators in Kellen Moore and then go to a Schottenheimer that it's like the you question his ability to do things moving forward? How does that give you optimism? I just don't see it. I think the real reason or just understanding what's going on is I think Mike McCarthy felt a general threat by Kellen Moore sitting there and calling the offense in a way that he also didn't approve and just got rid of the cancer in his mind 
and brought in someone else that will be more conforming to what he wants to accomplish and understands McCarthy's message. I don't think that's necessarily a good thing at all. I don't look at Mike McCarthy as a great coach. He does have a Super Bowl under him. I I think the Super Bowl was a success of Aaron Rodgers and the team that he had built, not necessarily the team that he was coaching. And, and that's what I'll just say to that. I think Mike McCarthy is kind of misguided in a lot of things. And you said something that was interesting when we were tailing off with the Giants. I don't, I, I think the roster should be able to be better than the Giants. I just question on if they will get the results and be able to do things that make them seem better than the Giants because Mike McCarthy has this unbelievable knack for making sure he brings himself down to the level of anyone that he's playing and whatever he's seen in front of him and eventually becomes the problem and no longer the solution. And he just got rid of the one guy for his offensive side of the ball that could get him out of the hole and design and do things productively with Dak and CD lamb and then could have done things with Brandon cooks. Obviously Kellen Moore was not there when Brandon cooks was there, but like, you got one of the one thing that you could do, and now you have Tony Pollard and nothing else behind him in your running game, and you're out there saying that you want to run a lot more and be more productive on the ground. It's a lot of head-scratching to me on decision-making, and I think it all stems from coaching and the hiring of Brian Schottenheimer. I just do not understand it whatsoever. It's interesting to think what the expectations are probably – of the Cowboys because you know Jerry Jones thinks that this team is a Super Bowl team but the majority of people that have a neutral perspective think the Eagles have a better roster so you would think the odds are that their path to the playoffs is as a wild card team and that means you have to win three road games to get to the Super Bowl this is a Dallas Cowboys team that hasn't been to a conference championship game since 1996 you know that has to bother them as a spotlight team as a fishbowl team in this league and then you talked about Ezekiel Elliott gone. Dalton Schultz is gone. He's not a great player, but word on the street, Luca, is they were already celebrating the fact that they were going to get a tight end in the draft by the name of Dalton Kincaid when Big Baller Bean picked up his phone, called his buddy over in Jacksonville and said, hey, I'll take that pick, and the Bills swooped in. Where do you fall on this rumor that the Bills broke the Cowboys' hearts? I don't know if I buy it as much as the rumor was out there. Um, I think I've even remember stuff during the draft where, I mean, Jerry, I think openly uh, denied it and take that with a grain of salt. I mean, it's Jerry Jones. I think his, his mindset and uh, what he wants the public to know changes by the hour. Um, but overall, I think you didn't really hear many other individuals run with that story as well. It wasn't really a thing that kind of picked up steam and being, as you put it perfectly, the Cowboys are kind of one of, if not the brand in the league. And it's kind of like you, the national media would love something like that, like seeing the Cowboys in a polarizing situation where they felt heartbroken and they didn't run with much of it. I don't know how much I buy it. Maybe it is the case but maybe they had Mozzie Smith just as high and they were kind of celebrating that they were going to get one of their guys and they were just hoping that it was Dalton Kincaid and then being just swooped in and kind of made the decision for them. And they got their, you know, one B solution, not their one a solution. You know, it's funny because I'm obviously thrilled. The bills got Dalton Kincaid, but I think Mozzie Smith is exactly what the doctor ordered for this Cowboys defense. Because when you look at what they have with, Lawrence and Parsons on the edge, they just screamed 
for a penetrating defensive tackle to really come in and lock, unlock everything on this defense. We talked about how good their corners can probably be with Diggs and Gilmore. You know they're going to get pressure off the edge, but now if Mozzie Smith can push the pocket from the inside, then this defense has a chance to go from very good to potentially great. And the Cowboys, like the Bills, like the team we're going to talk about next, the Eagles, are very deep on the defensive line. They've got guys like Jonathan Hankins and Dante Fowler running with the second team. And one of the main stories out of camp is the second team offense can't get anything going because they can't block the second team defense. And my biggest takeaway is that is a theme around the league because there are more good defensive linemen in this league than there are good offensive linemen. And there is an O-line epidemic in this sport and it's a shallow position league wide. So when you look at the bills and you're thinking, Oh, Questenberry, you're thinking, Oh, Brandon shell. There's not a lot of teams that go six, seven, eight deep about offensive line. And that's why teams continue to overdraft them every year. Um, speaking of offensive line, they did lose Connor McGovern. Uh, their first round pick from last year, Tyler Smith. It's expected to fill in for that position this year, eventually take over for, for Tyron Smith. When he does decide to move on their great outstanding left tackle. This roster is very good, Luca. I'm with you. I don't trust the coaching staff. Um, let's have one more conversation about them before we, we get into predictions. What are your thoughts on the quarterback? Dak, Dak Prescott's a polarizing player. Some people believe he belongs in that top six, seven quarterback conversation. Others believe that he has been fortunate enough to drive a very nice car since coming into this league. Um, I think he's good, not great. I think he's probably a lot closer to Kirk Cousins than a lot of us want to admit. And I'm not sure if the Cowboys lose or win any different amount of games if their quarterback was Kirk Cousins. Um, so maybe I'm hating on Dak, but I think he's good enough to win with, but probably not good enough to win because of. No, I mean, I, I've said it in times off air, not publicly and stuff, but I guess here's my opportunity to say it. He is Kirk Cousins with a little bit more mobility. That is all he is. He can run an offense that you put around him and build it up. I mean, you are just asking him to kind of drive this super nice car without getting it in a car accident. And unfortunately, then you're now putting a coaching staff with him that loves to get in car accidents, <laughs> that, that loves to figure it out and just screw things up when you don't need to. It's like, hey, the speed limit's 65. We don't need to put it in reverse and try to hit that same speed limit. It's okay. Let's drive forward 65. It's fine. We'll still get to the same destination and in a much safer fashion. They, I, I just, I don't understand it. And it's like Dak Prescott cannot bail you out of anything. Dak Prescott is not the type of quarterback and not the skilled quarterback that can kind of take crap and make something beautiful out of it. He's going to kind of take the things that you give him and do as much as he can with it. And it's like average at best, if not above average. That's why like Kellen Moore, like I, I will honestly say I'm not one of those guys that loves to buy into the hype about offensive coordinators being kind of like gods, we'll call them for lack of a better term. But Kellen Moore to me was one of those guys where it's like I understand why people say he's one of the premier offensive coordinators in the game and stuff like that, because what he was able to do with a guy like Dak Prescott under center and then nice pieces around him was extraordinary at times where Dak is like leading the league in passing yards and stuff like that. Like Dak Prescott should not be do Dak Prescott was taken in the round that he was for a reason. Like that is what I always come back to. And there's nothing that's ever shown me otherwise. So yeah, I just, when your quarterback to me is Dak Prescott and you're kind of a 
uh, coaching staff that loves to mess things up just for the sake of it. It seems like at times, I don't know if talent really matters that much when it comes to certain outcomes throughout the season, because it's almost like you want to try to find creative ways to screw it up, not win games. The Cowboys play the bills December 17th. That is week 15. What an interesting stretch that is part of for the bills where beginning November 5th, when the bills go to the Bengals, they go Bengals get a little bit of a breather with the Broncos. Then it's jets, Eagles, chiefs, Cowboys, chargers, Patriots, dolphins. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Last year when we saw the bills, rattle off wins against teams like Chicago and the Browns. And we were like, I think they're playing pretty bad, but they're winning games. Not going to be the case this year. If they're winning games, it's because they're good. And uh, that certainly is in the middle of it. Luca, what is your fear factor or prediction level on the Cowboys bills game? So Cowboys bills game. I think this is at the time of season. Perfect for the bills. This is right in that time. Like the strength of the Cowboys is their offensive line and their defensive line. And this is hopefully at this point in time when the offensive line for the bills is gelling so they can hopefully manage that defensive line and that pass rush as much as they can. Although, I mean, it's Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence, like you, you try to do the best, but Micah Parsons is probably the best edge rusher in the league. So, and he's the good old Leo position and a beautiful defense that it is. So, you do, you take what you can get, but overall you get the bigger point is Von Miller should be back and in getting into gear. Hopefully Rousseau is having the year that we expect him to have. And it's like, you should be able to then still create pressure, even though you're coming up against a very solid offensive line. And my fear factor then because of it is probably a five. I, I will give them kind of middle of the road. I, I think the only reason I don't give them kind of a six or even a seven though is the Dak Prescott coaching conversation we just came off of overall. I still like Mike McCarthy in orchard park in December when, you know, his backs against the wall, potentially at that point in the season, I could find him figuring out a very fun way to screw things up and make it kind of hilarious to all bills fans on how he figured out a way to lose that game. One thing I like about the placement of this game is the week before the Cowboys are on Sunday night football against the Philadelphia Eagles. That is the number one game they circle on their schedule, their home game against the Eagles. The last time they play the Eagles in the season, that could very much so be their biggest win of the season or their most crushing defeat. And they will have a shortish week. It's a late kickoff to get ready for the bills coming up at 325 in Orchard Park. My fear factor is about similar to years five. I think the bills should probably win, but it's not like they outclass the Cowboys. I think the bills have slightly better coaching and slightly better roster and their home. And I think they should probably win, but it's the NFL. And we saw the bills lose to the Vikings last year because of crazy things. Crazy things happen all the time in this sport. Uh, but overall, I think this is a good Cowboys team. I have them finishing with uh, 11 wins. Where do you see them falling? This might be a pretty hot take. I have them being an eight to nine win team. I just, hmm. I think they take a step back. I think the loss of Kellen Moore is going to be magnified by the lack of quality at the head coaching position. I really think that's a massive problem. And then 
we we talk about sometimes in camp where you shouldn't pay attention too much to interceptions and things like that because people are still figuring things out or even trying things that they probably shouldn't be. Dak has not looked good in training camp. He has not looked good right now in the preseason. He hits cooks on a deep play once in a while that you'll see on social media and whatnot, but then a lot of poorly thrown balls and things like that come out. And again, the other thing I will bring up is Dallas for a lot of years has kind of been a two-headed beast in the backfield and that you had Zeke who was declining, but then you had Tony Pollard to bail them out. This is the first time that it's just the Tony Pollard show. And I'm not thinking that Malik Davis or Deuce Vaughn, who Deuce Vaughn's close to my heart, I want to fight for the little guy, but I'm not thinking that he's going to be able to give them a lot of production. So if Tony Pollard goes down, or isn't able to kind of handle the every down situation. And then it becomes the Dak Prescott show in a Schottenheimer offense. I have some serious doubts and questions about it. So overall, I, I know it's probably a hot take and things like that. And Cowboy fans, if you're listening to this, welcome first and foremost, but also I don't know why you're here. Um, I mean, yeah, I, <laughs> but we probably tagged the Cowboys in our YouTube video. That's why they're here. Hang yeah, on. Guys. There you go. Don't pay attention. Yeah, to yeah, um, yeah, I think they're an eight to nine win team. I think this is going to be a down year and this is going to be a disappointment. This is going to be the Mike McCarthy firing year that we're finally going to yeah. see the end of the McCarthy experience. That is what we're going to see this season. That's interesting. You bring that up because I think he screams a coach that should be fired, but then I, we've seen Jerry Jones wants to have puppets as head coach and Mike McCarthy is probably the most accomplished puppet he can find because he's tried it with Bill Parcells and Parcells was like, no. He's tried it with Jimmy Johnson and Jimmy Johnson was like, no, he tried it with Barry Switzer and Barry Switzer was cool with it. But then it's like, oh, wait, my coach is Barry Switzer and Dave Campo. And it's like, it doesn't always work like that. And then Jason Garrett, a puppet. So Mike McCarthy is a Super Bowl winner. You can get excited about it and you can still let Jerry run the show. Uh, I, you know, I don't think they're going to break beat their streak of a uh, non-conference championship game since 1996. I was just pulling up their schedule. Man, if the Bills beat the Jets week one, Luca, week two is a beauty. Jets at Cowboys, 325. Lock it in. The Bills will have just smashed the Raiders at 1 p.m. Just get the popcorn, get the pizza, get ready. And we're all going to be saying, how about them Cowboys rooting for that team against the Jets? I'm so excited for the. I mean, I really am excited. The AFC East is going to be better this year because it just makes all these games matter so much more. Let's get to the next team, the last team, the defending NFC champion, Philadelphia Eagles. They went 14 and 3 last year, lost a heartbreaker in the Super Bowl. This is pretty good. Third total offense, second total defense, pretty good. Top 5 in both, top 3 in both. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, not bad. Interesting offseason though because like we have seen with the Bills in recent offseasons, when you're good, Teams notice and they come calling for your guys. And the Eagles lost both coordinators this offseason as Shane Steichen went to Indianapolis and Jonathan Gannon went to the Arizona Cardinals. So they are re- they're filling both roles. And overall, Luca, I like this Eagles team. Uh, I think they had an absolute home run of a draft with Nolan Smith and Jalen Carter. It almost feels like they have their draft board filtered down to Georgia players, and it doesn't matter because they continue to get the best player on the board regardless. Um, but they still lost some players, too. Like, they lost Javon Hargrave. They lo- um, they still have Josh Sweat, though. And w- the thing about them drafting so well in recent years is when you lose a J- Javon Hargrave, well, here comes Jalen Carter. And then they still have Hassan Reddick, who is like their third edge rusher. 
and he's a double-digit sack guy. Brandon Brandon Graham just continues to get better with age. Their, their fifth edge rusher is Derek Barnett, a former first-round pick. Nolan Smith is going to be like their fourth edge rusher. They can just bring these guys in in waves. This team, I think, can absolutely overwhelm you. They lost a couple guys on defense, um, Gardner Johnson, Marcus Epps, their safeties. They lost TJ Edwards. But in, all in all, Luca, I think this is a team that is set up to be good short-term. They have some age that concerns me, maybe similar to the Bills, where a lot of their good players, thinking about their corners, thinking about some of their defensive linemen, thinking about some of their offensive linemen, are potentially going to age out soon. But the way they're stacking draft classes, it may not matter. Look, Georgia's the best team in the country, it seems like, lately. So why not just keep drafting them? Because it seems to be if you're getting the players from the best team in the country to come to your team, which is already excelling, you're probably just going to keep getting better. And also, fun betting thing here, Jalen Carter's probably going to be your defensive rookie of the year. He's plus 750 right now. Sprinkle that if you want to. He is set up for all the success in the world. He has so many beautiful pieces around him that he can just thrive and be his own self. Fletcher Cox is going to do him a great work on just I, – I don't know how else I can say this. Jalen Carter is going to be an absolute problem for every team this year. It's just what an unbelievable situation to be in. And then, yeah, they're deep. They're very, very deep. And then you have guys like Nolan Smith who can step in because, oh, Hassan Reddick is either out or just having an off day, and you just rotate in this freak of an athlete and Nolan Smith you just drafted in the late first round himself. It's it's an incredible – it's an incredibly impressive roster, even with the pieces that they've lost, like a CJ uh, – um, wow, I was about to – Gardner Johnson, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, CJ, GJ. I, I was like going to say DJ for something like that, but yeah. Anyways, yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's an unbelievably impressive roster. And then you just, it's, it's fascinating to me to the point of like, you have Jalen hurts and we talked about the bills backup quarterback situation. You have a guy like Marcus Mariota now sitting there in the backup position. If you need to get a game or two like through because Jalen hurts is sore, has a shoulder injury, whatever it might be. Honestly, Marcus Mariota might be one of the best five, like you could have just sitting behind and he's hopefully he's accepting to this kind of new role that he's now found himself in but that's a very premier backup kind of quarterback situation when you have depth like that just in case you even need it and on top of it still have an unbelievable offensive line potentially one of the best one two receiving punches i'm not going to say the best but one of the best receiving punches in aj brown and devonta smith you have a lot of great things out there and then you traded for deandre swift in the backfield which is definitely improvement from what they had last year in my opinion uh miles sanders is nothing impressive people i I just i've never been a miles sanders guy i just want to get that out there now um i I couldn't fear this team enough, to be quite honest. If you talked about the rotation in their uh, offensive and defensive coordinator positions, this is kind of, uh, this reminds me of, I can't think of his name right now, but it reminds me of the one Miami U coach that uh, it was like Butch Davis went to the Browns and it was just like handing the keys of a Lamborghini to someone. It's like, just don't screw this thing up, please. I built this beautiful situation and everything like that. It's ready to win a national championship. Just do not screw it up. And it's like, that's what it seems like right now. I feel like the players can be telling the coordinators what they like to do because they just do it at such a high end level and they can kind of go on with their life. I, I, 
the Eagles are a very, very, very impressive team to me. Top to bottom, just coaching players, everything. They are extremely impressive. If I was going to poke holes in this team, I'd start with their linebacker core. Similar to the Bills, they lost a starter to the Chicago Bears, TJ Edwards. They do have N'Kobe Dean, who was almost like a bonus first-round pick, who was injured last year, would have been a first-round pick had he been healthy. Eagles got him on day two. I think they're expecting him to be their starting Mike. But concerns about Nicholas Murrow had them go out on Sunday and sign two veterans off the street, Miles Jack and Zach Cunningham. Overall, I'm not going to be a hypocrite because I think off-ball linebacker is one of those positions that you can find somebody. And if that's the worst position you have on your defense, your defense is probably pretty good. I will say the age of their corners concerns me a little because Bradbury and Slay are both at that point where you wonder if they're going to start to slow down. And unlike last year with Epps and Gardner Johnson, I'm not as confident in their safety situation. I don't think Terrell Edmonds is a good player. Um, and I'm not even sure who's going to be running with their starting free safety. It sounds like it could even be Sidney Brown, which interesting. I mean, good for him if he can get that done. But I, I think this is a team that might even be in the veteran safety market after after cuts happen. Um, but yeah, you mentioned it. This roster is so stacked. They can overwhelm you with the running game. And it's not Miles Sanders. I like Miles Sanders. He's all right. But I think it's a system. They have a great offensive line, a quarterback that puts the fear of God in you with what he could do with his arm and his legs. So you you can't commit enough bodies to the run, and their offensive line overpowers you. So I think Rashad Penny will be just fine in that regard. So if Hertz has to miss a month, yet yeah, Marcus Mariota can come in and keep the ship afloat. I heard an interesting comparison today of Jalen Hurts while listening to an Eagles podcast. They compared Jalen Hurts to Russell Wilson. And the, the, the idea is when Russell Wilson came into the league, he was a, a fun prospect. He could move a little bit, but he wasn't a fully formed quarterback. But the team around him was so talented, they carried him to the playoffs. And you saw that, not this past year, in 2021, where then the Eagles made the playoffs Hertz was not good that year, and they they got quickly bounced by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The next year, Russell Wilson starts to figure it out and become one of the reasons why this team wins, and they go from being a fun playoff team with a loaded roster to, oh, this is a team that's probably going to win the whole thing eventually, and that's where the Eagles are now. So my question to you, Luca, is he was a second-round pick. It is a one-year sample size of very fantastic football. Are you a believer in Jalen Hurts that he can stay in that top five quarterback conversation? I think he showed enough that he should be able to do it. I don't know if I'm sold that he will be able to do it. Um, I, I think I just need to see a little bit like early on, like if he can just kind of weeks one and two, just show that he is still that dog then I'll be sold. Like it's not going to take a whole heck of a lot to sell me on it. I'm just saying like it is enough or small enough sample size where I'm like, look, I'm not going to just buy into the hype and things like that and just crown him a top five guy, a top three guy, whatever it might be. There's a lot of good quarterbacks out there. What I will say is this. He's a dog. He, he's an absolute baller of a quarterback. He deserves to be a franchise quarterback. And I would say that Eagles fans should be thrilled to have a guy like Jalen Hurts be their quarterback because now they feel like they don't need a guy for the next 10 plus years. I will say, I don't know, like when it comes to Josh Allen, 
I think the era of Josh Allen running will come to an end and he will still be able to be a top five quarterback. My question with Jalen Hurts is more later on in his career. It's like, hey, when things start slowing down a little bit for him, what can he then still do to keep him in that upper echelon? And I have more questions about that, but that's a future problem. Let that be a future problem. Enjoy the moment, Eagle fans, right now. You have a guy. You have an elite guy. He's definitely in the elite category. It's just, look, I don't know about top five only because you have your Mahomes, your Allen, your Herbert, your, you know, you have so many other options. Unfortunately, you can only have five in a top five. That's how it works. And it's that is the math. Yeah. That is the, the math does indeed check out the in this instance. Out. So overall, I would just say he's absolutely an elite quarterback and deserves all the accolades that people like to throw his way. I'll be honest with everybody up until the point that the bills lost to the Bengals in the playoffs last year. And we were all thinking the bills could go to the super bowl. The team I feared most in the NFC was the Eagles. And I think they are the kind of team that could give the bills an absolute headache with their defensive line against what I think the bills offensive line could look like. And they're the kind of team that can shoot with the Bills and in a shootout can score with the Bills and maybe outscore the Bills. And um, I want, I honestly, they scare me as from a Bills standpoint. If the Bills make it over the hump, get past Kansas City and the Eagles are waiting for them, I'll feel like we got the short end of the stick. I really will. But I, I fully believe this Eagles team is maybe the most talented roster in the entire league. Um, that game, then they play the Bills, which is week 13 is going to be incredibly tough. They're going to be wearing their Kelly green uniforms, which maybe makes it a little bit easier on the bills. I think overall their weapons are when you factor in the weapons as a whole, maybe the best in the sport, but that's when you factor in Goddard. But uh, I'm with you, AJ Brown, Devonte Smith, and that top two, three, four wide receiver grouping. Um, and yeah, my fear factor for this game is I hope the bills can win. I'm not donating any games. I think the bills are that good. Uh, but this, this to me is going to be a, a tough, tough hill to climb. My hope, Luca, is that the season's going well enough that the Bills don't have to win this game. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. I'll, I'll be honest. This is the one when I was looking at the schedule in Philly at this point in the season, while teams are both rolling at this point. Like it's, this is the most important game when it comes to a Von Miller standpoint. It's like, how healthy can he be by this point? Can he be 100% or close to it at this point and stuff like that? Because you're going to need all hands on deck to win this kind of game. I don't think the Bills win this game. I'm not, I'm not going to say they outright lose it because, yes, they are that good. They should be able to beat anyone on any given day. It's just this is the one to me. I'm with you 100% when it comes to I, I am scared bleepless of the Philadelphia Eagles and the fact I think the Kelly green thing is a problem for them that I feel like when you get that kind of situation and like players see that Jersey hanging there and it's a specialty uniform and it, it just gets the blood going in even higher levels, they're going to be even more motivated in front of their fans wearing those uniforms to just go out there and put a good old whooping on whoever they're playing. And unfortunately we are the team they are playing that game. Um, my fear factor is a 10 out of 10. I'll, I'll, I'll put a number on it. I know you didn't ask, but it's a 10 out of 10 when it comes to the Eagles on the road in Philadelphia, which of course is an extremely tough environment. And you're playing just probably the best roster in the league. I mean, they better just hopefully like have enjoyed themselves the night before too much or something that they're not on their a game because 
if it's a like for like battle, I don't, this could be a game and the only game that the bills aren't favored betting line wise going into it. And it, it'd probably be like a point and a half dog or something like that. But overall, I, I don't, I don't necessarily think that this is a game that the bills you can go into and say they should be able to win. It's a true coin flip. It's an absolute coin flip. So I have something to tell you that I think maybe will make you feel better about this game and something <laughs> to tell you that I think maybe will make you feel worse. The Eagles and bills. I want to make sure I have this right here. I just pulled this up. Let me check it. Hold please. Okay. So the Eagles play the bills on November 26th in Philadelphia, 425 start. Beautiful. Yep. The Eagles the week before have a Monday night football game against the Kansas city chiefs at Arrowhead at Arrowhead. Yep. And then the week after the Eagles host the team that they played in the NFC title game, the San Francisco 49ers. And the week after that, they go to Dallas. So if you're a believer in sandwich games, maybe the AFC <laughs> opponent in that mix, a short rest makes you feel better. However, if you're a believer in sandwich games, Luca, the Bills, the week before playing the Eagles, have an AFC East matchup against the New York Jets. And the week after playing the Eagles, they too go to Arrowhead. So I don't think distraction is going to be an excuse for either one of these teams. And I don't think either one of these teams are going to be in position to overlook the other one unless for some reason like injuries derails one of these teams seasons and it's like Kyle Allen against Marcus Mariota or something out there, oh, but please God, no <laughs> prediction time. The Eagles schedule is interesting. I think their division is tough. The AFC East will probably get a game or two from them. We know they play the chiefs. Um, I'm going to say the Eagles, all that said, 13 and four. They're so loaded. I think they're going to, like you said, be favored almost every week, probably with the exception of Arrowhead. Maybe not in Dallas, but uh, 13 and four. They're just so good. There's, they are so built to win many different ways. If Hertz has an off day, we're going to lean on our running game. If the offense is stinking out the joint, we have the number three ranked defense back there. We'll be just fine. Like this is a team that can punch counter punch and counter counter punch. And that is such a handful in the NFL. So uh, 13 and four is my prediction. I might be a little crazy here in my prediction. I'll just mm -hmm. say that. But I also want to say this. They start their season at New England, home to the Vikings, at Tampa Bay, home to the Commanders, at the Rams, and then finally a meaningful game, which is at the Meadowlands against the Jets. That is a pretty easy start to the schedule. They will be allowed to kind of ramp themselves into it. Then they get into the meat of their schedule, but they still have teams like the Cardinals at their home week 17, who the Cardinals, if they win three games, are very lucky. We talked about my Bears pick last year, not this episode, but in the past, where like I hammered the Bears under four and a half wins. People, my bet of the year, by the way, hammer Cardinals under four and a half wins, maybe even go down to three and a half like I did. Just hammer it. They're a god-awful team. Anyways, the Eagles are going to be a 15-2 and two team this year. I think they are going to steamroll through their schedule. I can see them, of course, losing at Arrowhead to the Chiefs, and there's nothing wrong with that. They could lose to the Bills at home that week after. They could lose at home to the 49ers, who 
might be my Super Bowl pick for the NFC. But overall, they can win a lot of different ways. They play a lot of teams that just don't quite match up to their depth and their abilities top to bottom. And they're just they are what seems to be the best team in the league right now, roster wise. So why would I think that they would lose any more than two games just because of any given Sunday situation or facing yet another very good team like the bills, like the chiefs, like the Niners. So assuming they should be able to win one of those two, uh, one of those three games, I think they can win all the other games easily. I'll put them at 15 and two. I think they are that good. A team with a loaded roster that lost their offensive coordinator that everybody believes in and went toe-to-toe with the Chiefs in the playoffs. That sounds familiar. <laughs> we'll, we'll see We'll see how it goes for the Eagles. Hopefully they have a little bit better luck for their sake than the Bills did last year. Luca, this was fun. I always enjoy the Rivals Watch series. Uh, next week on Bills Chat, we will be diving into the others. And what do we mean by that? That is the teams that are not joined in one division. It is the Bills opponent from the AFC North, the Cincinnati Bengals, the Bills opponent from the AFC South, those Jacksonville Jaguars. I plan to have many a hot takes on jet lag and how stupid the schedule is that Jacksonville gets to be out there for two weeks. So get ready to hear me whine. And the Bills, who am I forgetting? AFC or NFC South opponent, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. There you go. Uh, and maybe Baker Mayfield makes a trip to Buffalo. Um, all right, Luca, we're about to wrap up here quickly, though. Um, we got some stuff coming up on our YouTube channel this week. Bill's chat, please, if you could go there and give us a sub. We are trying to grow that channel. We are putting all of our content there on Bill's chat, and we would love it if you could just take the time to like and subscribe. It would mean the world to us. Every day the Bills have training camp practice, we're putting out training camp recap videos, everything you need to know about what's going on with the team. And then Luca, you have a fun series, Sabres chat. Is there one this week with you traveling? Uh, it might be difficult. It's still up in the air right now. Work, uh, my normal day job, uh, might have a lot of travel in my future. I'm hoping to put one out the next episode, whether it's this week or next week, will be kind of diving into the metropolitan division, which I mean, breaking news. If you're a hockey fan, uh, there is a player that is going into that division by the name of Eric Carlson, your Norris trophy winner from last season. He has been traded to the Pittsburgh Penguins in a great deal. I will discuss that and a whole heck of a lot more to kind of talk about the other division within the Eastern Conference as last episode I talked about the Atlantic division of course the division they find themselves in so yeah hopefully it can be this week with my work travel it might be a little difficult now but I'm fingers crossed fingers crossed well it's the time of the year where if you have to miss an episode it is what it is but hockey season is going to be here before you know it and it's going to be full steam ahead and then Luca and I will be back on Friday night Bill's chat live all across the built-in Buffalo network previewing the Bills and Colts preseason game, obviously touching on any other storylines that come out of Bills training camp over the course of this week. And then we'll be back on Bills Chat Podcast next Monday morning, bright and early, to talk about all things Indianapolis Colts preseason games. Of course, everything going on with the Bills training camp and taking a dive into the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Cincinnati Bengals, and the Jacksonville Jaguars. For Luca, I am Josh McCarty. We will see you next time on Bill's Channel.